Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the 100th NFL season has ended as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 228. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I catch up with a longtime friend, a guy that I'm very happy to call a friend, and that's Charles Davis. You may know him as the voice of Madden NFL, the franchise, the video game franchise. You may know him for his work on Sundays, Fox Sports, with what he does covering NFL games. You may know him from NFL Network during the offseason where he covers the NFL draft. Charles Davis and I caught up a few weeks back at the East-West Shrine Bowl. We talked about a few different things. It was just kind of talking turkey about the business, about the Eagles, what they did this season. We talked a little bit about that. Then we talked about franchise quarterbacks. What do they look like? What do they feel like? What do they sound like? How do they compose themselves in private? That's one thing I think Charles kind of offers a little bit of a different vantage point that maybe most of us aren't really aware of. So Charles gets a little bit into that. And then we talked about the draft process, how teams are trying to unveil those diamonds in the rough this time of the year. So we'll cover all of that with Charles Davis at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. After that, I'm going to go through my notes. Just a couple of things, the three big takeaways for me coming out of Super Bowl 54. Watched the game Sunday night, obviously. Got through the film on Tuesday morning. So excited to kind of reveal some of the takeaways for me from that matchup. Really happy to see Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs come away with that win. Obviously, we've got friends uh, on both sides of the coin there and, bo- and bo- with both franchises. But uh, really excited for Andy Reid and all the coaches that were there, all the people that are uh, now in Kansas City that were previously here in Philadelphia. All right. Before we get into the rest of the show, I want to thank everybody that had the opportunity, had the chance, uh, that took the time to really just go and fill out that survey uh, on this Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Just really help us out. Over the last month, we had that survey open. Next week, we're going to open one for the Journey to the Draft podcast with the same goal in mind. We're just trying to make that show better, trying to figure out ways. What do you guys like listening to? What don't you like listening to? We covered all that in the Eagle Eye in the Sky survey. We'll be doing that on the Journey to the Draft survey. If you're not already, go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Every single week, we're covering you know all the action leading up to April's NFL Draft. We have a year-round, so we're talking college football, what guys are rising, who's helping their stock. A lot, a lot of fun. Really appreciate everybody that subscribes to that show as well. All right. Let's get to the top here. It's time to check in with Charles Davis. Speaking of the NFL draft, Charles does a great job for NFL Network this time of year. We caught up with him down in Senior Bowl. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. We're really excited to welcome into the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Longtime friend of the show, first time you've ever been on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Yes. Charles Davis uh, from NFL Network, from Fox Sports. He's he did two, three games, Eagles games this year. I think we had three, three. right? Because yeah, I, I think, think so. we started with the season opener. You did, in yep. Washington. Yep. Then we had on the road at Minnesota. You had Minnesota, and, and then, then we had, had Seattle. Correct. We had the, the Seattle regular season That's game. That's right. Yep. So yeah, three three times and. That's pretty cool for me. It's always great to visit Philadelphia. Sure. But it's always great to work with the Philadelphia organization. So for us and our crew, not telling any tales out of school, that that counts a lot. Sure. You know, when you're going to do a game, when you're working with good organizations, good people, you know, people who get it the way that we hope that we're, we're it, the, the, we get it. We yeah. certainly hope that. 
it, it works out pretty well. And Philly's one of those. Yeah, I think fans don't really know like what goes into the production for you guys from a like I guess like the meeting standpoint. Lead up without giving us too much yeah. like uh, you know out of school. What, uh, what what happens in those production meetings leading up? How many guys do you typically talk with uh, leading up to the game? Yeah, every every crew's different. As yeah. you know, Fran, you've seen them all come through from sure. all the networks, right? Yeah. you got the NBC. You've got the, the, the ESPN Monday night. You've got the CBS crews, our crews at Fox, right on down the line. And everyone does a little bit differently. Our crew is basically this. We want to talk with the head coach. We want to talk with the coordinators. Now, if the head coach calls plays on one side of the ball or the other, we typically eliminate that coordinator. Got it. Okay. And then we want to talk with the starting quarterback and usually one defender. Got it. That's basically it for us. Yeah. Occasionally, we'll add an extra guy in. Like this year, we added in Zach Ertz for one meeting as an extra person because of the World Cup and his wife, Julie. Makes sense. And yep. Fox right. carried the World Cup, okay. so we thought there was a natural tie-in. Makes in. sense. But typically, right. we do that to try and keep it limited, keep it small, and not upset guys because, Fran, you can tell everyone on Fridays – when practice is over, yep. that's personal time for everyone. That's they're right. going to get their hair cut. They're going to, to the bank. They're going to take care of business. They're, they're, you know, they're going to spend time with their families. And if you stack them up like kindling outside right. the room <laughs> and make them wait, they're not going to be happy when they get in anyway. So we try and keep it limited. No question. And the personalities get a little bit prickly on Ooh, Fridays trying to see. Oh, yeah, because we, we they're starting to feel it. Yep. They're starting to feel getting ready for the game. So we try to be respectful that way. I'm not saying our way is the right way. Sure. That's just the way we do it. So you got to see the, this team, you know, obviously Seattle. They After that Seattle loss, uh, you know, they had the Miami loss after mm -hmm. that. And then they kind of turned the corner. Uh, there were a bunch of injuries to this team. Well, from the outside looking in, what was your uh, your feeling on this Eagles team in, in 2019 and just kind of the journey that they went on? Well, actually, let's just take it from the end of it and work our way back. Okay, yep. Admiration. Yeah. Because, as you noted, we saw them against Seattle, and they played really hard that day. Mm. What would they have, five turnovers? Yeah, four or five turnovers. Five it, was a, turnovers. it was an ugly performance. It was just an, it was an ugly, ugly game. Yep. But even that being said, Seattle couldn't flat out kill you. Yeah. 17 to 9, which yep. turned out to be the same score in the playoffs. You needed a trick play touchdown. Trick they play had touchdown. Another long run for a touchdown, uncharacteristic of the Eagles D. Yep. But offensively, just could never quite get in sync. Yep. Didn't have the receivers. I think that was Greg Ward's first game coming up from the yep. practice Jay squad. J.J. Whiteside's first real action. Right, first real action. So, so there's a lot going on. Carson having to deal with a lot of things. So the admiration was watching essentially that lineup yep. and an offensive line that kept having to move things around because guys were either hurt or you had to change positions. Sure. You know, watching all that happen, that was a big deal. To see them win those last four... <laughs> I it's mean, awesome. when no one really thought that could possibly happen, and to know that Alshon Jeffrey's not playing, Deshaun Jackson's not playing, Nelson Aguilar's not playing, Zach Ertz is playing hurt yeah. before he couldn't play anymore, that was off the charts to see that. Now, go back to the beginning of the season when you beat Washington in the season opener. That roster looked, and I hate to do revisionist history, so I'm not going to, that roster looked like it had a chance to be a Super Bowl team. Yep. That's what it felt like. And then with Deshaun going off in the first game, and now here, here Carson can get the deep ball going because that had been the criticism. He can't yep. throw the deep ball. Well, you got the guy who can go get the deep ball. Guess yep. what? It worked pretty well then. 250-plus yard Ooh. touchdowns in that game. And, yep. and, and, and that second half for Carson, I said, okay. This is, the, the, you know, and that's when you thought they had it, and then the injuries happen, and you get the idea. It's such an up-and-down year. But the way that they finished just spoke volumes again about this organization, mm. about Doug Peterson as a head coach, about that team and locker room keeping it together because they could have gone south so easily. I feel like there's a lot of 
There's a lot of sayings out there, a lot of a lot of things that people kind of throw and say, like, you know what, this is gospel. And one of those things that, at quarterback is, you know what, a franchise quarterback, he's got to make the people around him better. And that was a thing that, you know, people oh, yeah. question, especially at that point, after that Seattle game, after the Miami game, was, well, you know, I don't know if Carson Wentz has it. Like, can he make these guys better? Can he make that four-game stretch, I feel like kind of like, took that argument and threw it out the window oh, it in, did. in a big way. Uh, Fran, I think you make a really good point. And amongst people I talked with, that was a big topic of conversation hmm. because everyone's very careful about, you know, can that quarterback do this, do that? Well, is it all the quarterback's responsibility? Yeah. But those last four games when now you're throwing to, help me out with names here, Greg Ward. So Greg Ward. Now you're throwing to Deontay Robert, Burnett. Deontay Burnett, Robert Davis. Robert Davis. Uh, now, now tight end, you're bringing in um, – Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins yep. is coming up to play. Goddard and Ertz were kind of staples until Ertz got, got dinged up. But that's not Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Nelson Aguilar. So you can't help but make the case yep. that Carson Wentz helped elevate that team. And in a lot of ways, I thought it was kind of a freeing experience for Carson. Sure. Because let's be honest about it. If you didn't get to the playoffs – no one would have been surprised. Right. Yep. But for him to elevate that team, for them to play as well as they did, and let's not take away credit from those guys stepping up and, and, and playing well down the stretch, but it all coalesced and came together. That was a big, big deal. Because now, when you look at the guys who are the frontline guys, of course you want them back. They are really good players. But at the same time, other people stepped up and made those plays, and Carson could be, in a lot of ways, Carson again. Yeah. I thought that was a big deal for him. And I think you'll get a different Carson Wentz going forward. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that in, like, he's going to carry himself differently. But I think all the stuff that happened before, Fran, a lot of that's going to go away for him now. Because right. he's seen, oh, hold on a second, I am what I thought I was. I'm, I'm not bad at this thing. And guys respond to me. I feel like you have guys that kind of go through those different levels of maturation. Um, and at some point for a quarterback, it becomes, you know, I think back to like almost like Tom Brady early mm -hmm. on, you know, the early championships with Brady. You had the defense, you had the run game, you had guys there kind of around him, and he was a compliment. And then at some point, it flipped, and now it's it's Brady's show. Russell, yeah. now you look at Seattle now, that used to be all Marshawn Lynch and Legion of Boom. Now it's Russell Wilson's yeah. show. I feel like that's kind of that stage right now with Carson. He got the, the contract last year. We saw him kind of take the, the bull by the horns in this, in this year's, uh, the end of the season. Now it feels like, okay, moving forward, this for sure, this is his squad. I think that's a great point i love the analogies on it and the only thing i'll add to it is now he has put some things up on the wall that guys right. have to respect yep so all this conversation of this bubbling of someone saying something in the locker room and someone's doing this um did you see how things finished right it changes the perception of him because if those if that person had other people's ears they're kind of like yeah but hold up a second look what we did here sure that that helps carson wentz in a big way and you're right the transition starts to really occur <laughs> You, you talk with quarterbacks, you mentioned, you talk with quarterbacks every single week, and you've seen the, the best of the best. How does it look? How does it feel? Like they, they, All those guys have looks and feels, and you see guys that aren't working, that are not playing well, or no, don't have the command of that team. Is there a, a certain template that all those guys kind of work off of where it, that this looks the part of, of a franchise guy? Yeah, every guy obviously is his own person. He does it to his own personality. But there's an ease about how they come into the meeting room mm. when you know that he's the guy. Right. That person comes into the room, and I'm not going to throw all their names out sure. because you, you know who they are by, by, by watching them play. But they come into the room. They know how, it's, how, how it works. It's going to work the way they want it to work mm. without being heavy-handed. And when they're done, they're done. 
and off you go. And that's one of the things that we try to take pride on, pride of in our in our group. Let's not keep them there forever. Let's not ask right. them a million questions. Let's talk to them, get a sense, a feel, and off you go. And for the most part, you you can tell pretty easily by how they walk in, shake your hand, and sit down and ready to go. The, the bottom line is they're all pros. Right. Like that, that professionalism comes out. The ones that are still trying to make it might not be quite as professional. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They might not quite know what to do yet. Sure. But they're trying to figure that part out. And that's why I wanted to ask you next was that you're you have like that, that unique role where you know with what you do at NFL Network, you work you know at the Combine and the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl. You meet these guys as they're coming out of college. Have you seen these guys that maybe they didn't have it early and then they, that kind of develops and you know what, now this guy gets it. Yeah. Now he needs to be. Yeah, we have seen that. And, and some of it is the enthusiasm is just off the charts mm. when we see them in these settings. You right. know, they're so excited. They want to be this and they want to be that. I remember someone told me years and years ago, and I think you and I grew up similar, Fran, with, with parents that were involved in this, right? right. That, that we could watch and be around. And someone told me years ago that in order to be the top of your profession, whether you're a head coach, an athletic director, whatever it was, it's usually a three to five year process because you come into it thinking, I am these five things. Yep. And by the end of the fifth year, you may not be any of those five things or you've refined them or you figured out what's really important to you. And now you're solid in that. I think it's the same process with these young quarterbacks sure. coming up. I think I'm supposed to act this way. I think I'm supposed to think this way. And then after a while, they're like, no, this is who I really am. And that and that sprouts and that comes out. Yeah, I, I always, you know, we've been talking with fans, we're talking with listeners as well, like, the, the human side of the game, you know, the, all these guys are, are, are people. And so when, you know, we're in the middle of this draft process now where the, you know, teams, they're trying to find out who these who these guys are. Yeah. It's, the film is in the book. Everyone knows what they are as players. Now it's what are we getting as an employee? What are we getting as a teammate, as a locker room guy? What are we getting from that standpoint? Because very often that determines whether a guy is going to succeed or whether he's not going to. And that is so hard to get to, isn't right. it, Fran? Yeah. Because... <laughs> the comedian Chris Rock did a routine once where he talked about relationships mm. and he talked about marriages and said, you're really not marrying the person you think you're marrying and they're not marrying the person they think they're marrying. They're marrying your representative. Right. Because you're on your toes, right? You're on your P's and Q's. You do everything perfectly. Anything they do is cute. This is wonderful because right. you're in love. Right. And then after you settle in for a while, <laughs> that bothers me. Why didn't I think of this? What's that? And then you have to learn how to navigate that process. Right. You're still in love, but now how do you navigate those things that maybe now you don't have the same patience for as, as before? I think it's like that, watching these kids come out from, from this process, to see them come out. And for teams, that's why you're talking about how difficult that is, to get to really know them yeah. and know what you're getting as opposed to, is this just a veneer that I'm getting here yeah. where he's been well-trained, well-coached, Here's how you answer. Here's what you get. That that's the tough part for teams. That's why drafting such an inexact science. Nope. I mean, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Because you're not exactly. You think you're getting this. Might not quite be that. Then you find that out later. We're in the middle. Of, I mentioned we're in the middle of this draft process. What's your favorite part of this time of year? My favorite part is going to these events, the All Star Games, whether it's the East West, it's the Senior Bowl, going to the Combine, and starting to watch these kids develop. And, and, and see if there's any consistency along the way. Yep. You know, I also love the kids coming from a little bit off the radar. You okay, know, for like you, that. for you, there is no off the radar. I you know all these plenty, kids. There's plenty off you, the radar. You know every one of them. And every year, you know, I'm calling you going, Fran, who is this kid from such and such? And you're like, oh, yeah, I watched five tapes of him last year. I'm like, what? I didn't even know where that school was. You're amazing. But that, that, that's part of what I like because these kids are getting their opportunity on equal ground. 
We got kids coming here. We got a D3 kid here yep. at the East West, right? From Berry College from Barry in Georgia. College, yeah. Right? We've got kids from, you know, the University of Rhode Island. We got a kid here from Army. We got a kid here from Navy. So they're not necessarily not household names because Army and Navy people lock in on a little well. But how many people can name any kids from Rhode Island? No, right? Not many. And, yep. and, and, and one of them is playing really well. I'm not going to name who he is at this sure, time, but, yeah. but he's, he's coming along and he's a receiver. Right, <laughs> and, yep. I, and he's doing a really nice job. <laughs> but I like watching that happen. I like watching it develop. And I think the lesson gets, gets hammered in every year, doesn't it, Fran? Doesn't matter where they come from, if they can play, they'll find They're them. They're going to find you. And I don't know how it was for you, but you remember the year we were at the Senior Bowl and Allie Marpet came from Hobart. Hobart, Hobart College. And do you remember me call, coming to you and saying, "Hey, I got to ask Fran, this Marpet thing." So, so, so they're gonna start doing a D three kid every year. And you, and you said, um, "He actually can play." He can play. And I was like, "What?" I thought they were just doing a D three, like throwing right, up a bone yeah. and having like the D three kid come and show up. Sure. And you were like, "No, actually." And I was like, "Really?" And sure enough, I came to you what the next day and went, "Oh." Yeah, we I get it. it. We and, saw it there. And, and Ali Marpet was a starter day one in the NFL right. and is never coming out of the lineup. So all of them don't work out that way. Yeah. But a good number of them do. Yep. And it's just like going to the Pro Bowl or seeing the AP team every year. How many lower-level draft picks, how many guys weren't drafted, turn themselves into players. Yeah. Uh, so when I was at, I was at Temple for five years and, you know, did a little bit with, with recruiting and, like, player evaluation and talking with players and families when they would come in for visits. And, you know, it, back then, you know, Temple was in the MAC. And the, the selling point was, look, you know, you can come in. We, we play Penn State. We play some of the bigger schools because kids are worried. Like, oh, yeah. are, 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 is the NFL going to find me? Over the last few years, like, more and more and more, forget all that stuff. Like, <laughs> I, and you deal with, you deal with, with high school kids and, guy, you know, the recruiting part of it. Like, you said it. If you have talent, the NFL, North Dakota State quarterback got taken second overall. Like <laughs> second overall. I mean, like if you if you can play, they're going to find you. Rather than you see these kids now, and, and you, not to get too far down yeah. the line of like the transfer portal and things like that, where a guy goes somewhere and he transfers after one year, it's like, how in twelve months did the did situation change so drastically? Like find the right place place for you personally. If you can play, like they're they're gonna they're gonna make it work for you. They're definitely gonna make it work, and and you know what it's like every week getting ready for a game when you look at the Eagles and and who they're playing, right? And you look at their roster, and you remember those guys when you scouted them yep. and you evaluated them, and they they are literally from all over, all over the place, absolutely all over. Who was the D three? We had those D three defensive backs. Yep, Marquis Christian. It's a great one. Right? Love that. Playing yep. pretty well, right? Yeah. So every year I look and see who wins the Cliff Harris Award, which is for the best, what, D2, D3, Defender, D3, D3, NAIA Defender in the country, sure. right? Yep. They're all getting drafted. Right. <laughs> right? It's a good the projector. Kid, the, yeah. kid out, the kid out of Dubuque yep. who won it, he went to the Senior Bowl That's and acquitted right. himself well. I'm not sure he's made it quite as far in the league as he wanted to. I'm, I, the kid last year, I, I, I've, got, I've lost his the name for some reason. Out of but my he head. gets drafted, and yep. he actually was playing pretty well. Yeah. So I look at that every year and go, yeah, you're going to get, you're probably going to get a pretty good player. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome part of the process and, you know, just trying to find find the diamonds in the rough, and then see who's going to project well to the NFL. Well, uh, Charles, appreciate the time here uh, hey, on the Eagle Eye of the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. We'll be uh, we'll be listening to you for sure over the next few months. Well, like, like, like I tell everyone all the time, the mute button works just as fine. As long as you can see the picture out there, you're okay. Listen to my partners if I get on your nerves. But thank you. Uh, Charles, thanks, man.
Great stuff from Charles, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at CFD22. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate all of you that promote this podcast on social media and all of our podcasts. But the best way to give us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It bumps us up the rankings a little bit, lets other people find the show. And I wanted to give a shout-out to somebody who has done exactly that. And we're going to go this week uh, to Scouts Doubt who left a great question, a five-star review, and he said, Fran, do you get the sense that the Eagles' offense was built to Carson Wentz's strengths to start the year? Then, with all the injuries, it was tough for him to adjust to a different style, and by the end of the year, he was able to learn how to play in that type of offense. I was also thinking that this may have been the reason why he seemed to struggle a little bit in 2018, while Nick Foles excelled, because that was more Nick Foles' style of play with those quick, shorter throws. And Scott Stout's a great question, and I think really when you look at – you know, how an offense looks, how really any team, not just offense, but defensively as well. When you've got all of your players, you're going to spend all offseason really kind of sculpting your game plan, right? You're going to try and say, okay, what is, our, what is going to be our philosophy this year? How are we going to leverage the skill sets of all the guys we've got? And if we're going to use the offensive example, we've got the speed of Deshaun Jackson. We've got the size of Alshon Jeffrey. We've got the route running from Nelson Aguilar. We've got the dynamic playmaking ability with Miles Sanders and the, the hammer inside with Jordan Howard. We've got all these weapons, both tight ends with Zach Gertz and Dallas Goddard. How are we going to get all these guys involved? And early on, you go back to that Washington game, watch how they attack downfield on third and longs with Deshaun Jackson. And you could see oh, throughout the course of the season, as guys started to get chipped away, that eats away at your game plan. Really, week two against Atlanta was just a, a really good microcosm of that because you lose Deshaun Jackson, you lose Alshon Jeffrey right away, right off the bat. You lose Dallas Goddard. Now your whole game plan kind of goes out the window and you have to rethink things on the fly. And so I think that's really what you saw throughout the middle part of the season is that the, the Eagles, they, the, the whole offense, they had to just kind of figure out, all right, what is our identity now? If you don't have Deshaun, if you don't have Nelson Aguilar who was, had to leave due to injury, you, had, you don't have Alshon Jeffrey anymore, how do you figure that out? He left due to injury. Jordan Howard left due to injury. You had offensive linemen stepping in and out. You had tight ends stepping in and out. We know by now, right? We talked about this earlier with Charles. All the injuries on that side of the ball, you kind of have to almost reinvent yourself at some point, and that's what it took took a little bit of time. You can go back and watch that first Seattle game that Charles and I were talking about earlier, and you know it was kind of it was baby steps, right? They they weren't quite on the same page. You know the the quarterback and the receivers weren't together. That mind meld wasn't quite there yet. But as you started to get going and you got down the stretch, and you could see there were plenty of opportunities for us to be able to see. You know what? Compare apples to apples. Watch Greg Ward run this route that first matchup against Seattle. Now watch him run it here in Week 16 or Week 17. Watch J.J. Arthigo-Whiteside run this route here and then run it a little bit later. You can just kind of see that maturation, that growth between the quarterback and all of the receivers. And so uh, to me, that's really what you saw from this offense this year with all the pieces that were rotated in and out or that they just lost. It just took a little bit of time to gel. But once you got to that point late down the, you know, down the stretch, that final month of the season, things really came together for Carson Wentz. The game planning, uh, the play calling, everything kind of just came together really well uh, for that group. And so a lot of reasons to be excited moving forward uh, into 2020 you know, with Carson Wentz and all of these players that they've got around him on that offense. So excited to see uh, how that group will continue to build moving into the offseason. Now, now let's get into the next part. And I told you uh, at the top of the show, we would break down uh, what, I what I saw from the Super Bowl. And to me... You know, I'm glad that uh, I saved Charles's interview for this week because we talked a little bit about the franchise quarterback, right? And what what that guy looks like, what he feels like, what is his presence when he walks into those rooms and those production meetings. To me, when you look at uh, this game between the Chiefs and the 49ers, 
you can kind of see that what it's what the difference is between having what you would call as your guy, your franchise, quote unquote, your franchise quarterback, and if you you're still trying to figure out if you've got that franchise quarterback. You know, I look you look you read the uh, the post game quotes from the San Francisco 49ers and from the Kansas City Chiefs. You see how the game plays out. San Francisco, obviously. A little bit more conservative down the stretch, right? They're trying to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. Kyle Shanahan said after the game, hey, we were worried about that guy on the other sideline. We didn't want to give him the ball back and give them the opportunity to be able to come down the field and win it. Meanwhile, you know, you say on the Kansas City side, those guys on defense, those guys on offense, they knew, hey, even though he didn't have a great first three quarters, they knew there was always that hope. There was always that feeling, hey, you know what? At any point, he can turn it on. And so you almost have that great juxtaposition there of the defense not or the, the opposing team not wanting to give the ball back to your, to your quarterback and your own team saying, hey, you know what? I know it hasn't been great yet, but we've got that hope. We know that he's got that ability to go and take us down the field and win this game. And I think when you look at how both teams handled this matchup, it kind of points to say, oh, you know, Kansas City, they know what they've got in Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's the impact that a franchise quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Carson Wentz, like uh, what Lamar Jackson has turned into in Baltimore. Obviously, we know all the names throughout the course of NFL history. You know, you go back to Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Peyton Manning. When you have that guy, that's what he can be for your team. It's not always just about what he can do with his arm or with his legs. It's about just the the feel of a game and how the, the strategy, the X's and O's, go behind that and beyond that. So I thought that was my first takeaway. Second, staying with Kansas City's offense, I thought that they did a great job of attacking cover three, just finding different ways to be able to attack those intermediate zones. Yeah, we saw the RPOs. We saw the option run game for sure, especially in, in key situations, uh, whether it was Mahomes keeping it or pitching it out to a back. I thought that you saw that th- as well. But throughout the course of the game, they did a great job of really just attacking down the field. And they led on, on a number of those scoring drives, whether they were ended in field goals or touchdowns. You saw some big plays down the seam, down the sideline, just in those voids in cover three, the, those big completions, I thought were really, really big. And a tap, you know, tip of the cap to that coaching staff. Obviously, we know in Philadelphia what Andy Reid is like off the week of rest. They certainly had some great plays dialed up. Certainly none bigger than that third and 15 deep ball to Tyree Kill to really kind of change the aspect of that entire game. So that was my number one takeaway from the Chiefs offense. Then you go to the other side. I think when you look at San Francisco, and I'm not the only one to talk about this guy, but you know, just watching Debo Samuel and just how he's been used over the really not just this past week in the Super Bowl, but you go to the playoff run, you go really the second half of the season, all the things that Kyle Shanahan has been able to do with Debo Samuel, a rookie, the 35th overall pick, I believe, out of South Carolina last year, early second round pick. This is a guy that when you watched him in college, he had that ability to beat you in a lot of different ways, and he's built. He, we said it numerous times on the Journey to the Draft podcast. He was a wide receiver built like a running back, and you, when you look at how he's used in San Francisco, they give him the ball in those end arounds, on those gadgets. You see him as a blocker. You see him short passes, yards after catch. You saw one of the better releases and routes on a just a quick slant, basic slant route that I've seen all season long. And he was a, it was a whole hum. I think it was a third and short. He converts it. And they move the chains for a first down. But that kind of shows, hey, you know, this guy's not just a gadget player. He's also a damn fine receiver as well. And then you see him running vertical routes. So I think that 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 kind of versatility 
speaks to some of these players that I think a lot of teams now are looking for in the NFL. And I look at some of these guys that are coming out in this NFL draft, guys that we're talking about every single week over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. You know, LaVisca Chenault from Colorado kind of built similarly, right? He's 6'2", you know, 220 pounds. He's got a thick frame. He can be, he's great uh, with the ball in his hands. Yards after catch. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. We're talking about a lot, a lot about him this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I think when you look at some of these guys, these big-bodied wide receivers that are great with the ball in their hands, maybe they're not as crafty as route runners. Maybe they're not great you know, tracking the deep ball over the shoulder, but get the ball in their hands and uh, let them do work. It's going to be interesting to see how, how the NFL kind of, kind of evolves because this is the time of year where everybody's looking at the teams that had lots of success and trying to point to different ways. Hey, how can we match what they did? How can we mirror some of the successes they had? Not everybody's going to be able to do it, but it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to find those kinds of players or convert what they've already got. If there's already players that are in your building that have that ability to be that kind of playmaker uh, with the ball in their hands, certainly uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Debo Samuel had an outstanding game. Uh, to me, would have been one of the MVPs, uh, one of the MVP candidates, I should say, for the San Francisco 49ers had they been able to pull that out, uh, had an outstanding game there for San Francisco. All right. That'll do it. This was a fun show this week. Always great catching up with Charles Davis. Appreciate all of you. Thank you to uh, the Scouts Doubt for a great question. As always, again, the best way to support the show, go on to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us that rating. Leave us that comment, and we will answer it here on the show. Until then, until next week, uh, I appreciate everybody here for listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.